Hello again, and welcome to the Spirit of West Texas podcast, where we are having real conversations with people who live and work in West Texas. This season, we are talking to small business owners and community leaders about their big dreams. They'll share about their challenges, successes, and even offer some helpful hints for keeping the small business dream alive. Listen in. We hope you'll learn something and maybe have a little fun along the way. I am Jared May, and I am here with my good friend, Amy. Hello. We have a very special uh, Mm -hmm. guest today that uh, I'm honored to have on the podcast this season. Yes. Glenda Mathis, who is the executive director out of the YWCA. Yes, Jared, like you, I'm so excited to have Glenda on here today. It really is an honor. She is a personal friend um, of mine and someone that I would certainly consider a mentor. And she's also been a great friend of First United Bank over the last few years um, as a result of her work with Lemonade Day. But Glenda is the chief executive officer of YWCA and is certainly making a difference through the Y in our community. I don't know if, you, if our listeners know much about the YWCA, but they really are a tremendous community organization and they do a ton of work um, in uh, you know, helping to eliminate racism, the empowerment of women and promoting peace, justice, freedom and dignity for all. They have um, a ton of different programming, early Head Start programming and after school programming that serves um, right around 1,200 children every single day. Yeah, so they are really um, doing tremendous work here in our community. Without a doubt. And if you step into one of their buildings, you mm-hmm, that's right. realize it right away, uh, the difference that Glenda has had in this community and in these kind of uh, spots that she's got to have a voice in. And it's it's just a, a, a night and day of what you would expect from a, a nonprofit yeah. entity. Yes, um, she's very high standards. Very oh, standard, high standards for herself and high standards for those that work. No doubt. With her. So I think our um, podcast listeners today have lots to look forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. So let's, uh, let's, let's dive in. Let's do it. All right. Linda, I'm so excited to have you here. You uh, mean so much to me personally, and you do so much for our community. So it's an honor for you to be with us on the Spirit of West Texas podcast today. Well, well thank you. The honor is mine. I am uh, so excited to, to be here and to see this new innovation uh, for the bank and, and uh, for you. Yes. I think you do a, a great job of relating to people. So thank you It should so be fun. Much. Thank you. This has been a labor of love in the making for the past eight months. So... We're wow. glad that it's finally come to fruition. It's a lot of work to put on a podcast. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so glad that you're here. Glenda, I know you have a tremendous career. Um, you've had a tremendous career and you um, certainly have um, a ton that you bring to Lubbock through your work at the YWCA. But I want to know, um, I know that you started your career as a seventh grade math teacher and child care and working with children has been a thread that's been woven throughout your entire career. That's um, right. And I'm just wondering, did you always know that you wanted to serve in this capacity? I don't think I ever imagined, you know, when I first started in um, as a teacher, um, first of all, I majored in math because I was so bad at it. I saw that. I had no <laughs> I idea like, that you loved math. <laughs> I, 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 well, I didn't understand it very well, but I thought if I can understand it and I can teach it to 
then I can reach the children who yes. don't understand it. And uh, so now math is a real love for me. I can, you know, I, I love math puzzles, a really weird thing to love, but I love that kind of thing. And it always hurts my feelings so much to hear that children have been turned off by math thinking that they can't do it. But I did love, I loved my work in uh, education and always felt that being a teacher was a privilege. Um, you could only do it if you had strong uh, economic support behind you. And uh, when you, if you lost that economic support, you probably would have to find a different job. So that's why I even left teaching is because I just got to the point where I couldn't financially afford it. That may sound like, a, like oh, of course you can. But it, I was a single mom at the time, and I just needed a way to make sure I could provide for the baby. And so I said, I need to find another job. And I found one in the oil industry, which paid a lot more. It's a sad testament of our community, <laughs> of our world. But um, teaching has always been such a such an important part of my life. So is that your favorite thing about what you do with the YWCA today? I mean, the YWCA does so many things and there's such childcare and, and it's such a huge part of what you do. I think childcare for me is, is probably the thing that I feel most passionate about mm -hmm. because you see the impact of it and you see the impact on the, not only on the family uh, and their ability to go to work and that sort of thing, but you really see that quality childcare can make a difference in the lives of, of children. And what peop many people don't realize is the important linkage between childcare, the childcare system in Texas, and the education system in Texas. You know, you hear all the time, kids need to be ready for kindergarten, ready to learn, because they've got to be ready to read by third grade. But what they often don't say is, well, how are you going to get them ready for kindergarten? If you aren't giving uh, every child a very high quality interaction in a childcare classroom, uh, they're not going to be ready for kindergarten. So that important linkage to me at now at this point in my career is, is uh, explaining that to people and helping them understand that childcare is much more than babysitting. Right now in America, childcare is pretty much a way of subsidizing business. And I know that, that that doesn't ring really well with certain business leaders, but the truth of the matter is childcare workers are paid on average minimum wage or slightly above. And that's true across the nation. And yet that's probably the most important job in the world, if you think about it, because if you don't get those kids ready for kindergarten, they're not going to be reading at third grade, they're not likely to catch up, and they're not likely to share in the American dream. And without that pipeline being corrected, we'll continue to have people who are not uh, living sustainable in sustainable careers and uh, being able to provide for their families the mm -hmm. way they want to. I, I know it sounds like, well, that's just way off base, but it's, but it's, it is the reality. You know, I, I think during the pandemic, we, we truly saw the importance of childcare because the kids um, were worried. People don't realize that they watched the news and they saw all of the, the crisis and they saw people dying and they became scared. And, it, and a parent is scared already and trying to figure out how to put food on the table. And they don't necessarily understand how to communicate that you're going to be a fine. You're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And kids come to come to child care. And if they don't have quality caregivers um, that 
have been trained on how to deal with trauma and how to help children through trauma, um, they they just get there's a major disservice. And so I, I I think we really as a nation need to look at the education system and and particularly how early childhood feeds into that mm-hmm. education. And I'm and I'm talking about early childhood in in terms of also the after school care because um, the reason you have after school care is because kids can't take care of themselves, right? So that that same um, linkage between helping the school do what they do and then giving children a safe place to be and a safe place to explore how social interaction and then get extra help when they need it. Um, that's just, that's just a very, as you can see, I get started talking about it and I can't stop. <laughs> it's like, passionate about it. I yes. am because you see, you know, during the pandemic, um, of course it occurred March 19th, it lives in infinity in my, in my mind. Um, we were in the middle of spring break. And so we had kids who were there at the YWCA to play and to have a good time and to Mm -hmm. swim and all those kinds of things. And all of a sudden, well, you're not going back to school. And the, and the Y has them, you know, so we're like, all of a sudden we're, uh, instead of having one week of spring break, we have four months. Trust me, it was a never ending (laughs) spring break in the Sunshine House too. Yeah. And, and so we immediately looked at, well, where are these kids? 82% 82% of the children that we surveyed were not reading on grade level. That's phenomenal. And many of them were more than, more than one or two grades behind. And so what we did was quickly pivot around that. We've got to do something with them. We can't, and we have to explain to them, you're not going to get to play for the next nine months. You're going to actually have to work if you're at the YWCA and try to learn something. Um, that that process of of convincing them that we still have to learn was really um, a difficult one because because they were they weren't accustomed to seeing the why as the place that was going to be te- mm-hmm. connecting them to their teachers mm-hmm. and connecting them to um, improving their education. But at the end of the summer. Uh, we showed that they had either improved in their reading or at least had not fallen any further behind, that's which awesome. is, that mm-hmm. was awesome. And, uh, and what it took, that's the nice thing about the pandemic, what it took was that you had to have smaller group sizes. You had to be further apart, less interaction. You had to have less uh, transitions during the day. All those things that we're sort of afraid to do in a regular day-in, day-out world you were forced to do during the pandemic. And in, in terms of learning, um, it, it was hard on kids to be a remote learning. That was almost impossible. But if they had somebody who was there sitting with them th- and saying, you do need to talk to your teacher, you do need to do your homework, they could make it. That's possible when you have families that have the time and the financial resources to support their children. but. A lot of children don't have that. A lot of parents are working two or three jobs, and um, one of the one of the most compelling cases I had was a little boy who um, who couldn't really count to a hundred. He was eight. You know that's pretty mm-hmm. far behind. And you think, oh, why? How how could you not t- count to a hundred? Right? We're going to fix this. 
So just in the conversation with him, I, I can admit to myself, this child's going to count to 100 before he leaves summer camp. You know, it's like, that's going to have to happen. Uh, but I would ask him, well, how do, you, how do you do homework? And his older sister, who is 12, is the one who's supporting him in, in his homework. And he said, well, she used to help me, but she got bored. <laughs> she won't do it anymore. And I understood that because he wasn't somebody who was going to be easy to support. Right. He, needed, he needed special intervention to help him with that. And we just saw a lot of it during the pandemic, that kids um, really need more attention and more support than we think they do. Mm-hmm. Tell me in terms of the pandemic, because it was a difficult year for everybody. Yeah. It was a difficult year for all businesses um, and certainly for nonprofits. I serve on um, a nonprofit board and I know, I mean, we just changed everything. Oh, everything yeah. halted. Um, and so I'm just wondering when that happened on that day in March, March 19th, when you realized that everything was going to be different, that you needed to pivot, you used that word earlier. Um, how did you manage that? Where did you start? How did you get your team to come together to form a new vision and a new direction? It, it was difficult. And I will tell you that uh, we have all, the YWCA specifically has always been very proud of the fact that we were not totally grant dependent. Mm-hmm. We were, we have businesses that are for, um, you know, pay for service businesses that help sustain all of those other um, initiatives that we have that that are grant dependent. But when that day happened and every single phone call I got, whether it was from Bing, Charitable Bingo, whether it was from our event center, our gym, our swimming pool, everything was dead in the water. And it felt like the sky just fell in. Chicken little. <laughs> Chicken little has, has been right. And, and you, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, and we were in the middle of building, you know, and so we had big contract payments that were due. And it's like, you were afraid to even imagine how you were going to get through the summer if, if you can't have any of your businesses in place. Um, so I would say I took about, I mean, Honestly, you want to just go home and cry. You want to go put your head on a pillow and go, this isn't fair. Um, But you don't have time for that. Because the most important thing to me during that time was realizing and fear that I was not going to be able to pay my employees. And I was just, I was petrified by that. There was nothing that made me more afraid than, than the thought that I would have to lay someone off. And I... I remember just looking in their eyes and thinking, I cannot do that. I, 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 it, it was one of the hardest moments in my life. And so I don't know where it came from, but I said, nobody loses their job. But, oh God. You know, you do, I don't know where it came from, but you just say that. So then you could see this immediate calm. calm. Okay. Like uh, that was the first thing. Then people like, okay, we're not going to lose our job. Now, at the time, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do that. And quite frankly, there were several days as time went on that it got closer and closer that you go, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull this off or not. But, you know, it's amazing at the same time that something terrible happens. There were some other things that that government pitched in. 
so many generous donors said we we understand and they would uh, so many businesses that um, would normally um, that we recognize in this community. I don't want to call any names because I might lose one of them. And I and I, and every time one of those businesses would call and say, we've got a, a, a grant for food or for whatever, it just gave you such such optimism that, okay, we're going to... And that was the biggest concern. Can I keep my people working? And um, so once we got past that initial thing and then you start looking at it I, I liken it to a trip. You know, you, you have a goal in mind. We had some big goals. We were going to finish Y on you. We were going to, we had all kinds of things we were planning to do. And so it's like, you've got this big plan. You're all going to drive to Disneyland, right? <laughs> yes. But the tire blows out. Right. It never goes as planned. It never, yeah. it, you know, and then you get, the, and, and then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, there's too many, the motor, the transmission, everything's broken. We're not going to Disneyland. And we're going to sit right here and deal with the problems that we've got, which is a car that's broken down. And so it was sort of like that in a way. It's like all of a sudden, all of those goals, all those dreams that we had were no longer what we had to focus on. We were looking at strictly exactly what was right in front of us. And that was kids that needed care, families that needed food, and families that some of those families were being called to work and it's hard when people some people are getting to stay home and you're having to go to work mm -hmm. and you're worrying because you're hearing that you're probably you're playing blind dodgeball uh, of whether or not you're going to get the virus or not so it, it was really hard to motivate people to come to work um, during those times, and um, but but they saw the critical need that the kids had, and so it was amazing once we once we kind of figured out, all right, this is the way we're going to handle this, and we're going to focus on this particular problem. We've got these kids; they're going to need they need a lot of support. Well, what was the what of everything stands out to you? What did you learn the most throughout 2020? Hmm. What was the biggest lesson that you learned that you'll take forward with you into 2021? You can't stop, even though you might want to. You cannot succumb to fear, and you can't let, as a business leader, you can't let your staff feel fear. They have to believe somehow, some way, you're going to pull it out. And I will tell you that really, for me, having a strong faith was the only thing that you have that you could rely on. That was the only thing that could get you through a day. And I don't say that like um, just a, a, sometimes we say you got to have a strong faith and you got to believe and da, da, da. And that is true, but it really has to come from your gut to know I've been through things before God will get me through this mm -hmm. one too. And I, I just, I think you have to know that you're doing the right thing and that you're trying to protect people and just believe somehow, some way, it's going to work out. And that makes people really nervous when you, when you talk like that, you know, like, because they want to plan. They want to know, mm -hmm. okay, what are we going to do next? This, this, this. Oh, it's A to Z. How are you going to get, what are all those points? But, and it makes them very nervous when you go, I don't know, 
just follow me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically that's really what we ended up saying is like, I don't know. Um, but with together, together, we'll pull this out. And I was just amazed. And I'm sure you were too, by the creativity. I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was, and the school district, how they pull that off to turn around and suddenly deliver remote lessons was just phenomenal to me. And watching them, and it was a, it was a privilege to be able to serve those teachers um, by helping get kids to call their teacher and to force that child to sit and sit still. So it was a community effort. People were, were very um, understanding. You know, it, when when five o'clock comes and you're having to stand out in the sun to wait, you know, because you're six foot distance, they understood that we couldn't open the doors anymore to let parents in. They they people really rallied. Um, now they're tired now and they're getting a little more cranky about some of those rules. <laughs> yeah, but we are. I think, yeah, yeah, we're tired. But uh, I think the thing I I know is that you must rely on your faith and you must not give up. Yeah. Tell me, Glenda, despite everything, all of the challenges that you faced in 2020, you still had a really great year Oh my at the YWCA. Yes, under your leadership and with the help of your team, I know. Tell us a little bit about that. You were still able to open the Y on you um, in October. Is that right, of 2020? No, actually, we opened August 17th because I was praying the schools would say, oh, let's just delay it a little bit, you know, and go back after Labor Day. I was praying for that. Um, But no, August 17th. And so we had to really hustle up the uh, um, construction team. And, you know, they were facing uh, COVID issues too. So all of a sudden they'd have a case and the whole site shuts down and it would but August 17th we opened and um parents came and I'm so thrilled that they did mm-hmm. and the building people worked really hard to get us in in there I've never moved so many so much in my life as that day when we had to try to get everybody ready for the school opening um but it was a good year and um and it's it's our whole purpose of getting into the Y on You was really to have a space that allows us to serve a lot of families, for sure, with childcare and after-school care, but also to have community events because that's that's one of the and by community events, I don't I'm talking about things that happen that bring people together. It could be a a, a cooking class, but it's letting people have a space to be that. They can be safe, their kids can be safe, and they can just have a family time. So, Glenda, I um, saw that building and drove past it many, many years it's before not a it became Kmart. that. <laughs> yes, it was a Kmart. Tell me, we talk about um, our small businesses and the idea that every small business started with a big dream or a big idea. Um, that was a really big dream to take that that Kmart building and to turn it into what it is today. How did you, how did, where did that vision come from? I do not know. I will tell you this. A a big dream really probably starts with not thinking, not knowing how big it is. People would say to me all the time, that's a huge building. And I was like, you know, it doesn't look like a huge building to me because all I saw was what could happen inside Mm -hmm. it. And to this day, yes, it is a big building. Yes, it did cost a lot of of dollars to get it done. Um, but But the reality is not the building. It's what's going on inside those. And I was adamant that we would have 
a big classrooms for kids, not where they were cramped into small spaces, that we would have lots of uh, opportunities for staff to learn and grow and, um, and, and places for the community to come and feel welcome mm-hmm. and that it's a beautiful space. I sometimes think people undervalue what it means to walk into a place that's um, old and not working and and the the difference that happens when you suddenly walk into a bright and beautiful space. It transformed my life as a child. You know, when I went to school and and the classrooms were warm and we got chocolate milk first thing in the morning and and the teachers had beautiful classrooms and books and I was like, I want to stay in this place forever. Mm -hmm. That changes kids' lives when they can walk into a space that is beautiful and cared for and there are caring adults there that um, are interested in one thing, and that is their safety and nurturing and quality educational experiences. So what is your next big move? What's your next big dream? Well, you know, Why On You is um, a pretty big project. So it's still got lots of opportunities uh, for growth. Like many people don't realize that it's on 26 acres, and um, behind it is this big ditch, that's not very pretty. Uh, but if you actually go up and look at it, and this is where a dreamer comes in. If you go look at it, there's actually some beauty there. Mm-hmm. And it would be a great bike trail, walking trail, uh, park. You can't build anything on it because it's a ditch for drainage, right? But it's been empty a long time. So I'm thinking... We ought to have bike trails okay, back there. Okay, you heard it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, first first here. Now, it, it, it may take me a while to make that happen. People want us to have a pool, so we, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we, there's all kinds of things. But most important, first of all, for us right now is to focus on our mission. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that big gift that we got in December was really dedicated to the mission, um, and that is economic empowerment for women, and um, of course, eliminating racism. And for me, that starts with our children um, and then giving people opportunities to be together and see that incredible potential that's going to waste by not taking advantage of every single person you run into. Mm-hmm. By taking advantage, I mean taking advantage of what they bring to you, that their ideas and their um, opinions and their experiences. It, it just makes life richer. Tell me, Glenda, you have talked a lot and throughout this conversation, you've come back to your mission and the focus of the YWCA and what you're working toward. Um, I, that's even more critical to me, I think, in terms, uh, or excuse me, in times that are challenging, like what we just went through for small business owners or nonprofit um, organization leaders. Can you give them some practical advice or practical tips on how you can stay focused on your mission and your vision and not deviate from that as you move through um, and work through challenging times. A lot of times, you know, mission statements are just words. And then when a leader says, no, 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 that's really what we're all about. Um, and you just keep reminding yourself and reminding everyone around you that that mission is your critical, that's where everything flows. And um, I, I, th- 
as far as practical tips, you know, um, I, I think that's the beginning. You must keep it in front of the, your staff and your uh, and your customers, and then you have to live into it. You know, there's a big difference between aspirational goals mm-hmm. and livable uh, actions. And so you have to be able to identify, well, how are we going to, how are we going to make this a reality? What, what are the steps and uh, what is it that reaches people and brings them into that mission and makes them believe that it's possible? Um, so, uh, for us, I don't know that that's the, the answer that you were looking about. I think you do have to be vulnerable, uh, and know that a mission is meant to be bigger than you. It's meant to be bigger than what you're capable of right this moment. So you have to be vulnerable in knowing that every single day you're learning and you're you're falling short, but you're trying and you're tr- constantly learning and constantly um, listening because I think that's the that's the key. Um, that's a, such a perfect segue into my last question for you. I know that you're an avid reader. We've talked about this a lot. And a yeah. forever student, you never want to stop learning. <laughs> Tell me, um, how, what did it mean to you that the YWCA Board of Directors decided to, to name the library at oh the Y on you in your honor? It's so, such a fitting honor for you. Oh, my gosh. That day was just how they pulled that off without me knowing was just cra- crazy because I would have said no, no. Of course, we, yes. We're not going to do that. And the first day that those letters actually went up there, I was like, oh my gosh, this bill, it was the first, you know, there were so many problems in the building and I was like, and my name is on the silly building. You know, I was like, oh, what are we going to do? Literally, it's Literally. on the building. Um, so this mess is caused by her. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, it was just such a, it was such a, it was so humbling and um, it made me cry and it still makes me cry because I really believe in uh, the power of education for kids. I, I know that that changes lives. It changed mine um, and it changes so many of them. But we have to convince kids that a dream is possible. And sometimes especially in our most vulnerable communities, kids come thinking that life is just day by day and they'll never get to do anything that they really want to do. And that's got to change. How can people listening to this podcast, how can they help you in your mission at the YWCA? I think, well, just come and visit us Mm -hmm. and I think you'll see ways to get involved. I I would love that. Uh, I think any chance you get to explain the importance of early childhood and why those women that work in early childhood should not be, that should not be a minimum wage profession. And yet in Texas it is. We have to change that as residents of this state. We have big dreams for our kids and that starts by making sure that all of our educators are paid a livable wage. Um, so helping spread that word, uh, that would be great. Uh, just come in and get involved. We, you know, there's so many ways that people can volunteer and make a difference. Um, it's harder in today's world, but still, just knowing that you care, uh, it, it means a lot. Thank you so much for being here. You are a treasure. And it was a joy to visit with you this morning and hear about your, your hopes and your dreams for the YWCA moving forward. Well, the YWCA is, has been blessed by a great community. And um, we love Lubbock. And um, 
it's it's our honor to do anything we can to make Lubbock a better place for families. Thank you. Well, First United Bank is so happy to have you as a friend personally and a supporter of all that we do here. So thank you for being with us on our podcast today. It was fun. Talk to you later. Okay, Amy. <laughs> I know. The, she is just a special, special yes, lady. Yes, she is. I guess you've known her for a while? Yeah, I have. I mean, um, I've known of Glenda for a long while, mm-hmm. um, but I became closer with her the last few years through the bank's involvement with Lemonade Day and the YWCA right. Spirits right. Lemonade Day. And um, I just think she's amazing, and she's a force to be reckoned with, and um, she leads a big team of people and she leads them very well. And I mean, one of the things that I love the most about her, which definitely came in across in that conversation is just how deeply she cares about yeah. the work that she does and about the people that she serves. And she truly is an example of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a big dreamer. And I think that that is very inspiring for people that are interested in starting a business or small business owners to see that, um, you know, big dreams really can come to fruition. Um, and then it's okay to have dreams that are bigger than what you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, when she went over her mission statements mm-hmm. and kind of the idea that that should always be bigger than where you are and you should always be reaching for yes, that. Yes. And striving for something bigger and better. Great point. Mm-hmm. And she is very passionate about what she does. And my wife, obviously, you know, is in nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And Glenda is just a rock star in in those circles. You know, she's just, her leadership style is just, there's something magical and just very mm-hmm. open about it. Yeah, and I think, you know, she talked about listening mm-hmm. as a leader, listening to her people and listening to feedback from them. And um, I've had conversations with her over coffee, much like this one. And we talk about um, just the idea of always being a student and mm-hmm. her love of learning, which started when, you know, at a really early age for yeah. her. And um, she reads a ton, which I think is what's so wonderful about the library being named in her honor at the at the Y on you. Um, in fact, we are going to include a list of Glenda's 10 favorite books, um, books on personal and professional development, and even some great fiction reads that she loves. We're going to include that list um, for our podcast listeners. And you can find that at spiritofwesttexaspodcast.com. She mentioned a couple of uh, books off uh, off the podcast yes. that uh, I've already jotted down, mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to this list. So I'm going to definitely grab that. Yeah, great stuff from her today. Great lessons on perseverance and resilience. And I think that um, her, her commentary and her resolve, or her commentary on resolve and perseverance is something that certainly um, everyone, everyone mm-hmm. can learn from. Yeah. So She's a special aide. I'm glad we got to sit down with her. Yeah, so. me too. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.